One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast. We are going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, BFritz12 on DraftKings, Twitter, and an OWS Discord. And today, I'm joined by Majestic, and Lex is back. What's going on, guys? <coughs> Sorry, no, no, I'm good. We're, we're all good now. <laughs> uh good good to have you back man it was uh you know jess and i had some fun just kind of you know just out there in the water trying to trying to save ourselves but uh <laughs> trying to but yeah. compensate for not having it like we're just rattling off everything any idea that popped in our head came out <laughs> no nah, yeah you guys are great it was, uh, it was fun to listen to you too <laughs> uh cool any uh any notes from you guys from from last week Good things, bad things. Yeah, bad things. <laughs> Wasn't a good thing for me. I kind of have like one really shitty week every like three or four weeks. And so that was my week it came up. So I should have a couple of weeks coming up here. Yeah, I feel yes. like go ahead. I was gonna say I feel like a ton of a average week for me too. I I thought it was a really interesting week, a little bit different than we've had this season, just because there was so much value. There was so much kind of news and, and last minute stuff. So uh, for anybody interested, I did talk about that on the Assessing Your Process podcast, which uh, by the time you're listening to this will be out. So if you have any interest in checking out my thoughts on that, uh, go check that out. But yeah, definitely an interesting week. Uh, excited to, to, to move forward. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. You guys ready? Let's oh. do it. Okay, so yeah, this week we we actually have got non-conference games lined up. So chose these because you know they kind of fit our bill, but also because it seemed a little bit interesting to dive into these matchups that we don't see quite as often. So we've got first up Buffalo at Tampa Bay, then we'll dig into San Francisco at Cincinnati, and then finally New York Giants at Los Angeles Chargers. All right. So kind of our premier game here, got Buffalo, Tampa Bay. I mean, just from a football standpoint, I think pretty interesting. You got two kind of powerhouse teams, uh, strong offenses, two of the biggest name quarterbacks in the NFL, two defenses that are, can be strong at times. So let's check out what we got here, starting on the Tampa Bay side of the ball. This is kind of interesting because we've got a strength on strength matchup in that Tampa Bay and Brady obviously love to pass the ball, but the bills have been pretty lights out versus the pass. So I'm, I'm pretty interested to dig in here. Lex, I'll throw it to you first, just to kind of break down how you think this matchup is for, for Brady and the bucks versus this bills D. Yeah, this year. So it's been, just more profitable to stay away from a targeting Buffalo defense just because they've been so strong. But now we're dealing with the unknown of losing Tredavious White. And like I wrote in there, you know, we don't really know still after one week just because, you know, the Patriots threw three passes. So it's not really a good 
barometer of where the defense is going to be at. Um, they now have to match up with a somewhat like almost fully healthy bucks offense, right? Like they're still missing Antonio Brown, but they've got Gronk back and crushing it. And then they still have got their other top two guys. So, you know, it's definitely not going to be an easy spot for Buffalo. I think if this is a spot where people are starting to shy away from Tampa, you know, and stuff, maybe you, you know, target the ownership just from the uncertainty of losing Tredavious and, you know, a Bucks offense where elite offense is generally going to be a better bet over time versus elite defense than the other way around, um, especially a low ownership. So, you know, it's hard to, it, it's hard to give you too many numbers or like what the matchup is exactly just because of that injury, because it's not like they just lost some safety or some back corner. Like Tredavious White is one of the, probably the more important quarterbacks there are in the NFL. And the defense is still going to be really sound structurally. Like they have a lot of good players in there, good coaches, but you know, to lose like a number one guy like that, when you're now facing, you know, like guys like Evans and Godwin, that's going to be, you know, a bit of a struggle and stuff. So I, I think the passing game is interesting. You know, we'll, we'll, the, we probably expect once we get to the other side, like Buffalo should be able to score a little bit, which should, you know, lead to some elevated pass volume for um, Tampa. If um, now the Buffalo Rundy has struggled a bit, but Tampa Bay is still generally going to be a pass first team. So I, I think it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. Just real quick before I throw it over to you, Jess, how about those chunk gains that the Patriots were ripping off? <laughs> I don't know if you guys watched that game, but it was just like eight yards, 10 yards. It was like, geez, man, they could not do anything. And then just kind of a, a random funny thing. I, did, I don't know if you guys saw or anybody listening saw, but uh, they, in the press conference, they asked Micah Hyde and Poyer about it. And they were both like pissed, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, just, just kind of a note there, Jess thoughts on the, the matchup here. Yeah. Um, I think that Tampa Bay can be really balanced in this game because of that loss of white. I think it's going to open up a little bit of the passing. Um, they have the number two rush DVOA behind the Colts. And we've seen teams like the Colts, like uh, Tennessee, when Derrick Henry was healthy, like the Patriots go in and really thrash the bills defense. So a team that's committed to running the ball has a good offensive line. Like those teams do like Tampa does. Uh, I think they're definitely going to be able to get Leonard Fournette going in this. Um, and then, yeah, with the loss of Trey white, it'll give them the opportunity to be, be balanced. They won't have to just try to run the ball to win the game. They can throw more than three passes <laughs> and weather should be good. I think it's going to be like a nice sunny day there. Um, and with white out that, that leaves Teron Johnson as the last healthy corner. So I'm or the last of the good healthy corners and he plays in the slot. So I'm kind of looking at Godwin as a guy that I might let the field chase his box score on and maybe target some of the outside guys. Um, looking at the, the snap counts, we had Perryman on the field for 84% of the snaps last week. So that's really interesting. He only got three targets, but he's, he's their deep shot guy. And I would expect them to try and play off of the play action, get that running game going, and then maybe take some deep shots and kind of avoid some of the stronger areas of that defense and try and just go over the top. So I think Perryman's kind of a, a, an interesting play or interesting matchup in this game. Um, and Tampa has the number one net adjusted sack rate score. So Brady's probably going to have some time, but he doesn't really need time. He gets the ball out pretty quick most of the time anyway. So I don't know. I just think that Tampa has got the opportunity to kind of do what they want to do. I think Godwin might be taken away a little bit and, and they're going to look to the outsides to try and take advantage of that loss of Tredavious White. But could be a, a really nice balanced script from the Bucks this week. Jess, do you have uh, a net 
drive success rate for Tampa Bay? Yes, and it's it's not going to be good because of the Bills' defense. Before, let's see, they are they're right in the middle. Their net DSR is 0.716, and the average for this week is 0.714. So they're pretty much right in the the average. Yeah, I guess good as what I was kind of thinking is, you know, we might see. And again, this kind of depends on the other side of the ball, but we might see elevated passing numbers. So even if Buffalo is playing Tampa Bay pretty strong, just, you know, Tampa Bay might be able to get there just over volume. On the flip side, the way that I could see this failing is if Tampa Bay does indeed go a bit more balanced and Brady doesn't get to a high number and they're more willing to play this as kind of like a close back and forth game. And then nobody really ends up with a had to have it score or, or even one that's, you know, decent price considered. So I think that's, you know, just off the top of my head for a way that I could fail. I could see that if they, they do choose to, to go balanced. Um, yeah. Lex, any, any thoughts on, on that? Yeah. I like what Jess was saying about Perriman, just because when you can pair, like when you have a guy that's going to be a field stretcher and he's on the field all game, like that's always dangerous. You know, someone who can get a nice deep touchdown or two, like the, you know, losing white, you know, helps that I was looking to it like targets um, without Brown and Evans is generally like going to have like double digit targets, unless it's like a Lattimore game or like when he was, uh, like a Terrell, you know what I mean? When he's like the focus of one of the better corners. So now losing white is definitely a boost to his game here. But at the same time, like we both kind of noted, he hasn't really had too many just big games in the Brady era. And for the bucks, like he's just not a guy that's going to rack up huge volume. He's not the best yard after catch kind of guy. Um, so you're really, usually with him, you're almost betting on, he has to score twice. Um, Godwin's generally the guy with a better floor. And then honestly, sometimes even a better ceiling just because he's going to be more likely to rack up. Now he's not going to have 15 catches every week, like last week, but um, he's also going to be more popular generally for that reason. So, you know, you're, you're dealing with that though. Um, I don't know. I think both, you know, all those receivers you can make cases for, right. Especially with white going down. If white was playing, I probably would have, well, I guess you could argue, you know, Evans just with lower ownership, but I, I mostly, I probably would have just stayed away, but I think anyone here, you know, can have success. It's like you said, with Tampa, you're always dealing with the threat of, you know, no one putting up the have to have it score just because the way they distribute it. Um, even last week, you know, you have like Fournette stealing touchdowns, but um, Gronk is uh, probably my favorite guy in the past game. He probably will be most people's favorite unless it's Godwin um, just because, you know, Buffalo has been easier to attack first through the tight end. I think maybe not even just this year. It could be the last couple of things just because it's, you go to the middle of the defense for them. Um, he's been just one game this year below eight targets. So he's, got a lot of usage this year. He looks much healthier. He's been crushing it when he's been playing. Like he hasn't really hurt you too bad, even in the game where he was like playing with broken ribs, you know, in like the early part of the year. Um, so yeah, he'd be my, my favorite guy to target. Yes. He has high touch on equity, obviously. Um, he's at a, you know, lower salary position. Uh, but I do think anyone in the passing game is interesting, especially if you're trying to pair it with um, Bill's guys in the sense of the game, like shoots out more just because they, you know, I did say that they're a pass first, but that doesn't mean they won't, you know, give Fournette a lot of those high leverage touches. Um, but if you're, you know, in a back and forth environment, you're certainly more likely to have some of those passing guys rack up catches like Godwin last week. Uh, yeah, I don't have too much more to add. Again, it's really hard to like have firm stances on 
the matchup when we really just don't know what it's like without white, um, just because of the significance, like I said before. Uh, but I do think it's, you know, like going back to what I said at first related to what Jess was saying, Perriman being on the field, he's basically taken over Tyler Johnson's spot. So obviously don't play Johnson. Um, and just look at those kind of guys we've been talking about, but yeah, I, I don't really have much more in the passing game. I guess I'll add quickly with Fournette, the Bill Z. I think it was a couple weeks ago. I, I like had wrote too. I was like, it, they've just been so good. Like, don't even touch him. And then like Jonathan Taylor, like you know, goes for five touchdowns. That was, yeah, that was, that was on the pod. Yeah, we talking about on the like pod, the, and we we're like, oh yeah, like he's gonna stay away this week. <laughs> yeah, nah, and the funny thing is, that week. <laughs> oh really? Because we talked yeah. about the leverage he would have, and I was looking at Latulale and Edmonds, and if they missed, I was gonna be on Taylor. Uh, yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. And like, yeah, I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I remember exactly now. Yeah. You were saying those guys were out and then like someone else had pointed out, they hadn't really faced many, you know, tough backfields either and stuff. And so as we've seen the last couple of weeks, like some better backfields like Henry and Taylor and what was it? The Patriots, like, you know, they've, they've rushed a lot better. So I do think that, you know, Fournette is, it's not like you just stay away. Like he's, he's getting a ton of touches. Like he's had some good usage lately. He scores a lot. He finally is, you know, scoring through the air. He kind of, took over even Gio's role a little bit there. So Fournette's interesting for sure too. And I don't know, Jess, you're nodding like you got something more to say too on on like Oh no, I I, I love Fournette. I've got him listed as my my top play in this game. But uh kind of looking at like the workbook. So here's one thing I'm looking at like Buffalo's defense has actually been tough against tight ends. They're only allowing 4.8 targets per game, which is 16% of their target volume. Both of those are red boxes. Uh, they're only allowing 8.2 fantasy points to tight ends, which is also a red box and is actually the lowest on the slate. So that's interesting to me because all of that came with Tredavious White out there. So avoiding Tredavious White, they're still not like you got Milano, you got those two safeties. I think they're actually really strong in the middle. Edmonds is actually pretty good in coverage too. So they have two good coverage linebackers and they play that nickel. So the tight end can't find holes in the zone as easily. So I'm, I like Gronk because he's awesome. And that's one of Brady's favorite targets. And so he's, he's made my interesting plays list, but I'm looking more at uh, like kind of building around if I'm stacking this game, which I did mess around before we got on, <laughs> build a little stack with a uh, Buffalo passing game and then Fournette, And then you can throw a uh, minimum price Perryman into that mix and hope he gets, you know, 15 points or whatever. And then you could really like kind of build around some other stuff, put some high expensive pr- price pieces in there especially if you use uh, some of the cheaper plays, which we'll get to my favorite cheap play for Buffalo coming up next. But yeah, I, I, I got Fournette as probably the key player for Tampa in this game. I think uh, the team trusts him now. Brady trusts him now. I think he trusts himself now. Like he's just a much better player this second half of the season or just, you know, after first quarter of the season, he's been great. So I've got Fournette and I, his price is still not of that of a workhorse, even though that's kind of what his role is. Occasionally Ronald Jones will come in and snipe a touchdown from him, but I don't know. I, I think if, if you're building around this game, he's one of the important pieces to, to add in there. Yeah. I think what you said was actually exactly what I was going to say too, which is that they tr- trust him. And I think that's kind of the, the most important difference that has, has occurred you know, and, and like you said, after that first quarter of the season, cause yeah, it's like once Brady and the team trusts you, like he's in a good spot, you know, we've talked about it on this pod. I talked about it on the assessing your process pod. It's like just choosing guys that are 
on high total teams. And like the bucks are pretty much always going to be a high total team unless, you know, in the majority of games. And so, especially if matchup dictates and because he does have a passing game role, he's almost always going to be at least in consideration. And yeah, I don't think that's any different in this spot. Uh, just to, to kind of comment on what you guys are both saying about Gronk. Definitely think that's interesting. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that's different with Gronk now than like, I think it was like last year or seasons past with the Bucks is his, vol- the volume is there. You, you're not just relying on efficiency. Like he's actually being used heavily and producing on that. On the flip side, Jess, what you're saying is, is kind of interesting to me. He's got two, two good, you know, put together two good weeks now. So I think the field will definitely be see both him and Godwin kind of like in their, their sights if they're like stacking this game. So for me, just purely from a, like an ownership and a strategy standpoint, all of four, I mean, not that Fournette's going to go overlooked, but just because of the strength of the play, like Fournette and then uh, Perryman. And, and I, I kind of like Evans, you know, Lex, like you pointed out, we've talked about on the pod. Uh, he doesn't really have that massive ceiling, but you know, simply to, if you want to play more of a strategy angle, I think he'll probably be the the least owned. Yeah. I don't really have uh, more thoughts on that. I think you guys pretty much yeah, hit on everything else I could think of. Um, I, I don't know if it's my memory exaggerating. I, I feel like I remember seeing Tredavious on Gronk, like back in those new England Buffalo matchups, but it's probably a lot easier to do when like they're not top receivers like Edelman, you know, I, he probably wouldn't have been able to do that anyway. So I, yeah, I think you guys, we got, I think we hit on everything. All right, cool. So yeah, flipping over to the other side of the ball, this is at least to me where it's going to kind of get interesting is if the, the pace in this game can get pushed. Uh, you know, I think the, the main thing here that's interesting just for the bills in general is Josh Allen has been productive but as JM and, you know, we've talked about OWS in general, he doesn't quite have that ceiling that he's had in the past because their passing aggression has gone down quite a bit. But, you know, this is one of those spots where that could change if Tampa Bay can push them on the scoreboard. So Lex thoughts on how that sets up for him and how they'll try to attack here. Yeah. I think you always want to look at, you know, at least, you know, above average pass offenses versus Tampa, just because of, you know, the way that they're structured defensively. So I think Allen is for sure going to be interesting here. Um, Tampa Bay has faced like the most pass attempts per game this year, which has been the common theme of the bulls era. Um, he hasn't had as many like big games this year compared to last year, just because he hasn't played as well. They haven't passed like maybe quite as much. Um, but I do think, you know, he's obviously always a threat, you know, running the ball, which like raises his floor. Tampa Bay hasn't had like a ton of QB rushing production, but like some guys like Hurts have had success and Fields a little bit, um, even Winston in the brief action. Uh, so I think, you know, he's going to be interesting, you know, as a way to attack this. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to remember like how, like, I know that they've had some injuries and they, but they've had some guys getting healthier, but I know someone I feel like on that defense just got, I think it was like Brian Edwards just got suspended because of the COVID thing. Right. With, with AB and then, um, yeah. And then someone else. And then I think Sherman's like supposedly like working as like trying to become a safety now too, or as you get older, I, I don't know. Their, their secondary has had problems all year. Um, it's really just been dependent on like if they face offenses that can attack it. And I do think that even with the bills, some of their struggles, like this is a good spot for them 
to, you know, attack, like they've got guys who are really good man beaters. Um, so it's just tough to like, you know, stop those Sanders has cooled off a bit. I don't know if it's his age or just them, but I haven't like watched Bill's games, you know, to like really see like maybe why is Sanders only ending up with like 20 yards. Cause I know early in the season, Allen was just missing him a ton on those deep balls. And you're like next week, you know, Hey, and then now it's gotten to the point where he's just not producing at all. Like Gabe Davis is like a better play than like both Beasley and Sanders at this point. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Just probably some more thoughts. Like we, I can get into the receivers like after just, you know, I, I, I'm curious what you have to say, just because I, I have a bunch of notes on basically all the bills receivers underperforming, but then again, this is the environment where, you know, this is probably one where like at least one of these guys probably pops off for a nice game. Um, okay. So looking at Josh Allen and possibly why his numbers are down, I saw this posted on my Buffalo feed for beat writers. It was actually somebody reposting somebody else's post. Uh, if you go through the years, 2018, 2019, 2020, Josh Allen has had like 21 to 25 rush attempts in the red zone and seven to nine touchdowns this year. He's got 19 rush attempts. So he's, he's on par for, you know, kind of the same as he's always got, but he's only got three rushing touchdowns. So are we going to see regression? Are we going to see Josh Allen start running some more in? Like, I kind of feel like this might be the type of game for it. Um, also reading, uh, the athletic today, I was reading one of the, the columns about the, the bills and kind of like, they're starting to talk about a, a disconnect between McDermott and Dabble. and McDermott wants to be a physical presence up front to at least like, if they're not going to run the ball, because that's not their identity, at least have the physical presence to make that a challenge for defenses to, to have to commit to a little bit. Like you can't just ignore the running game altogether. So kind of those two things lead me to believe like, and, and we've seen Tampa has faced the most pass attempts this year. So Josh Allen's going to be throwing and running because they don't have a running back. They can trust um, that last game against new England. They ended up, they, they tried Brita. He wasn't having success. They brought in Singletary. He wasn't having success. And then Moss started ripping off like five plus yards per game. And they went with him the rest of the game. So it's like, he's their, their physical back. So if they want to go physical moving forward, that's who they're going to go with, but he's been benched because he's not able to make the right reads, not offense. Like he doesn't see the holes. He doesn't know where he's supposed to go. So they basically, they don't trust any of their running backs. So I think Josh Allen may be the running back for the rest of the season going forward. And then this is not the game to try and get a power run game going. Like Zach Moss is not going to read the right holes against that Tampa defense. So you're, we're going to see a ton of pass attempts from Josh Allen. We're going to see him running the ball. Um, I, I mean, Tampa doesn't do man a whole lot, but even still, he's he's going to find places to run with the ball. Um, and Tampa's defense has allowed the third highest points per game on the slate to running backs as receivers, and that's not going to to pop up for Buffalo here either. So I just I kind of think Josh Allen's going to kind of take over that role as as the running game in this this particular matchup. Um, I have a bunch of other notes. I don't know if we want to get into the passing side yet, if we're talking the, the rushing side, but uh, I, I, I love Gabe Davis in this game. And the reason uh, I do is because of his role is kind of growing as that red zone target. He caught the touchdown last week. Uh, there was a fourth down in the game and I guess they had Sanders on the field and then they called the timeout and took Sanders off and brought Gabe Davis in. So they're starting to trust him more. So his role could grow going forward. He's also going to have like 30 to 50 family members at this game. So like he's, he's got incentive to perform well and Buffalo may have incentive to try and get him going because Sanders hasn't done anything. And, you know, since the beginning of the season, 
And I'm looking at uh, just some stats on like Diggs kind of kind of poo-pooing Diggs a little bit here, like especially at his price. So Diggs has more than 100 yards and only two out of 12 games. He's three times his salary, his current salary, or no, his salary at the time of the games. He's only three times that, two out of 12 games. He's only reached over 20 DK points and four out of 12. 10 targets and five out of 12, and he's had at least one touchdown and six out of 12. So he does lead the team in red zone or in uh, end zone targets. He's actually ranked number one in end zone targets with 12, but that particular stat isn't really paying off for him. Uh, Gabe Davis has seen at least three targets and five out of the last six. He's carving out that red zone role. He has five end zone targets for the year. We just saw him catch a touchdown last week. It's only 3,500 on DraftKings. So like if you're looking for for kind of a, a pivot or a, a way to get into this game, like a, a nice stacking partner with Josh Allen, I'm looking at Gabe Davis um, or Dawson Knox because the basically the uh, Buccaneers defense is a race slot receiver. So I'm not going to look at, at Cole Beasley. I don't want to look at Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, tight ends have had some solid games against them. Most recently, Jack Doyle just had a really good game. So it, to me, if you're, you're building around this game, like I'm going to plug in Josh Allen, I'm going to plug in either or of Knox and Gabe Davis, and then I'm going to bring it back with Leonard Fournette and either Evans or Perryman, like just the way that the game sets up. I think that that works out. And then just a, a side note, Buffalo has the number six net DSR score for the week. So there's that too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love I love all that stuff too. I I was gonna say like most of my notes for this game for the receivers are like pretty negative just because like they've just been really underperforming. Just everything you were saying about Diggs, like I think I wrote he is uh, eight twenty five plus DK point scores with Buffalo in his thirty one games there. But of the eight, seven of them came last year, so he's only done that once this year. Like his ceiling is just not really been there. And then I've got like where Beasley has like three huge games for. PPR just because he gets like 11 catches, seven, 10, but then he's combining in the other eight games for 23 yards a game. Like that's just like rough. And then it, the problem is I'm going to like, so the reason I started with that is I've got all these negative notes. And then I feel like this is the game where I'm like, I can write all that negative stuff. And then one of these guys is going to just rack up a ton of catches just because that's just the way this environment sets up. So I really like Davis because like, he's been on the field more. He's been starting to play a little bit better. Like you said, I think he has like a, like what three targets and like back to back or something. It looks like he, you know, he's got a family there. So there's some narrative behind it. Uh, he's definitely a talented, like young player. Like he showed that in spots like last year too. Um, so I, I like that thought a lot. I feel like this is one of those weeks where if Allen's throwing 40, 50 times, like Beasley is going to be one of those spots where you're like, wow, why did I not realize that if they're throwing a lot and stuff, but that, to me is where if more of Buffalo falls behind a little bit. Um, but it is kind of like JM said, where it's just like, you're always going to need to throw against Tampa. Like you're just never going to be able to like burn clock running um, unless you're Josh Allen, like you said, the new running back. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't have too much. Thought. I don't think Sanders is like really playable right now, at least just the way, I mean, he really has struggled. And even the, the two times he topped like just 15 DK points a series scored two touchdowns in both those. So it's like, you're really, you know, betting on some scores there. Uh, his, he was like leading the league in end zone targets early in the year, but I think that's just kind of gone away. Um, Diggs is interesting. I mean, he's definitely underperformed, but obviously this is the exact type of environment you would want, you know, if you're ever going to play him. Um, so I would say like, you know, I, I'd be fine, you know, fading him in general, but this is definitely a spot you have to consider him at least, especially if you're building around this environment, just because 
yeah, he's definitely underperformed, but he's the type that can, you know, blow the roof off the game just because of how talented he is in like the environment here. Um, yeah, I really like Knox. Um, Tampa Bay has struggled with tight ends. I think I wrote they've had five tight end touchdowns and then like 11 tight ends, 11 have 30 plus yards. So low barrier to hit, but like seven more with 40, like, you know, when it's tight ends, like that's still interesting to know. Knox has seven touchdowns in 10 games. So we know he's a red zone target. Um, he's not ever going to get a ton of targets. You are definitely betting on him scoring. Um, but it's not like he's super expensive either. It's definitely a guy that can fit in game stacks. Like Jess was saying here. Uh, I don't have too much. Like I, I'm not even going to talk about the running backs. Just don't play them They're not only is this one of the worst running back matchups in football, unless you're like a pure receiving back, um, which Buffalo's guys are just not, uh, just don't play him. I think I wrote like their ceilings for all of them this year have been like 18, 17, 19. Like none of them have even hit 20 DK points. They split the touches. Just don't better off betting on other things. So yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up my thoughts. I think the passing game is interesting. Running game is not. And then Allen, of course, is always interesting with like his rushing upside too. Lex, I, I I thought you were sharp, man. You don't want to talk about Zach Moss and Devin Singletary and Matt Breida. <laughs> I do not. I didn't even, I hit on like three notes in my matches. I'm just like, please don't waste your time. I'm not wasting my time with the notes. You don't need to waste your time I, losing money on these guys. Yeah, I literally wrote in my notes too. Cause yeah, like for anybody listening, we all kind of do our, our own notes for this. Uh, backfield is one of the most negative EV things on the slate. Like, it, like yeah. literally just don't go there. And so to that point, uh, Jess, I, th- I think what you're saying is pretty interesting to me with Allen. Uh, I do. I, I like him naked in this spot, even, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I, I think that that's, you know, the safest way to play it. I do. It, it's hard to see him failing, I guess is what I'm saying. Like his, his floor and ceiling seem really solid in this spot. I'm, Oh man. Yeah. I'm sad because I really want to pull the trigger on Manny Sanders because yeah, his usage early in the year was just so solid. Like you guys said, like, you know, just being missed is like, um, unrealized air yards was just like ridiculous. It was, you know, just so much ceiling left on the plate there, but yeah. I mean, I just, yeah. If anybody in the community, by the way, has like some Intel on how many Sanders looks or why they're, you know, if they're using him differently, let us know. Cause I, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. We've talked on this podcast before about how Tampa Bay has struggled with big plays. So, you know, that would have been something that I would have really liked, but yeah, otherwise I think you guys are, are pretty much dead on with all the other things. The, the only other note I had was Dawson Knox is like, generally the the type of play that I like to stay away from somebody that's kind of buoyed their production by a lot of touchdowns and not like massive usage necessarily to match that production, but he does set up really well here. So it's, it's kind of hard to avoid him, but just a, just a note there, if you're looking for a reason to differentiate a little bit flex. Yeah. I mean, I'm in sort of agreement with that. I think Knox for me would be like game stacks only like, you're building around the game, right? Like in it being a high scoring, like he's not someone that would ever generally just target without that. But I think most of the time, if you're building around this game, you are kind of looking at stacking from different sides. And then uh, I was going to say, if one of these running backs or when they score three touchdowns this week, please don't say anything to me. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll just be crying privately and I don't need you to come after me for being so uh, against them. But uh, just yeah, thought I'd throw that out there. 
Zach Moss is only 4,500. Watch him go off for like two touchdowns. Right. <laughs> well, what was that? I mean, earlier this year, didn't like all three running backs score a touchdown like a few weeks ago or something like that? It was just like obnoxious. I think it was like one of the weeks that I actually played Josh Allen. I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I do think yeah. your thought too on the Allen naked is interesting just in the sense that like these Buffalo guys have from fencing, like they really can kill your team. Like it's not like they just underperform. Like Beasley will put up, like I said, like 10, 20 yards. Like Sanders has put up like 20 yards. You know, Diggs obviously at his price is definitely significant if he's underperforming. Uh, so it is an interesting thought just with his rushing upside. Like most quarterbacks don't, you know, have that. Um, but if, you, if you're really building around it, you're probably wanting to build with one of the guys at least. Um, but I, I do think that's an interesting thought just because the way they distribute it and like the way they have like real, real cratering scores. So, and then this is why I like Gabe Davis and Dawson Knox. They're the two cheapest receivers yeah. to stack Josh Allen. And Gabe Davis, when he's on the field, it's for a reason. Like they scheme him his looks. Like he's not just out on the field as a decoy. Like when they bring him on, they have a plan for him. So he's like, he doesn't get the amount of snaps that the rest of the guys get, but he's super efficient with what he does get. And then just Dawson Knox going against a Tampa defense that, I mean, they're, they're giving up 14 and 14.6 points per game. And that's PPR that's on the worksheet to tight ends, which is a light green box. So, I mean, it's, and like you're saying, he's not somebody you play by himself in other lineups, but if I'm playing Josh Allen, I'm looking at stacking him with either or of Knox or Davis in this game, because it's just, this is the jewel of the slate. Like we, we've got two non-conference teams playing each other and I I don't have the data, but I I feel like I've read it before that because you don't have a common and like, especially in, uh, when you're playing a divisional opponent in the second time around late in the season, those games tend to be a little bit lower scoring than the first time you play them because you already got to see them once that, that year. These guys don't see each other, but once every four years, like they, they don't have this whole book of notes on each other. Buffalo. Well, actually McDermott probably does because he comes from Carolina. So he's got more notes on Tampa than, than uh, Arians will on Buffalo, but yeah, it's just, it, it, I like the three games that we picked because of that, because they're all non-conference games. And this is one of them. And this is, this is, just, this is the best game of the slate. Like, I can't wait to watch this game in real life. Like, and I can't wait to play this game in DFS. Like, this, this is going to be the, the, the crown jewel of the slate. You heard it here, guys. Crown jewel. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think you know if if you really just kind of want to play the the price game here, could just stop stack. Uh, you go Josh Allen, Gabe Davis, and then bring it back with Perriman. And you know if you somehow luck into a, a decent ceiling with those guys, you've got plenty of plenty of room to play. Oh, can I say one thing really quick? So. I just had this thought because like Jess triggered something for me and I was like, Oh, I'm like Brady did play this McDermott Buffalo team, you know, good amount of times because came from there. So obviously much different teams, like the weapons Brady has in Tampa are just kind of ridiculous, but I'm looking now. And like, since 2017, I think that was McDermott's first year. Brady has a game of like zero touchdown, one pick two and one pick zero and zero one touchdown, two picks, zero touchdown, one pick, one touchdown and stuff. So now, granted, like we said, white is not playing and like different teams for sure. It's like, you don't want to just like look at that and be like, oh, now I'm not going to play him. They've won like every single one of those games. So it's not like Tampa wasn't scoring. I mean, uh, doing it wasn't scoring the ball those games, but I'm like, that, that was interesting to me just because I wanted to look that up quick. Like I forgot about the little history there. 
But uh, again, I, it's not like I'm not going to play because of that, but I was like, oh, I should look this up. And I'm like, oh, that didn't look great. Well, anyway. Yeah. And oh, I'm glad you mentioned that too, just because it's actually brought up something that uh, we've been you know, trying to do on this podcast. And I thought about even after the fact last week, because Jess and I finished with the, uh, the, the Vegas Washington football team game. And afterwards I definitely saw paths to that failing. And I actually didn't end up playing any myself besides Gibson, uh, because I was like, uh, you know, I think this actually underwhelms more than the, the field expects just because, you know, Washington defense has been pretty good. Las Vegas isn't that good. Uh, and so just to your point there, Lex, I think that it is important just to, at the, at the tail end of this here, mention again, that, I mean, I definitely at least see a road to this failing price considered and things like that. Like, I definitely think this game could end up being a little bit lower scoring if things broke the right way. Yes, there's going to be volume, but if the, if the bucks run this a little bit more balanced and the, the bills struggle to get a little bit going or don't need to match the pace quite as much um, could, could slow yeah. down just and, a bit. And we'll never be able to predict everything. I mean, didn't they score like six points versus Jacksonville? The bills just did like, like two or three weeks ago. It's just like, it's, it's so hard to, this year, especially it just seems like a lot of weird stuff's always happening. And so I, I'm with Jess, like, and then you both, I think it's like, you, it's just like every game, right? There's so many different ways it can go. So it's just depending on how you want to bet on it. So I mean, that's why this is just one of the, what, like 12 games on the slate too. So. Yep. Good. I like those thoughts for sure. Yeah. Speaking of that, we got two other games to get to, so <laughs> probably half an hour in probably like check those time. out. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm glad we spent a lot of time on that because I do think that there's a lot of important things there. Um, but with that, let's move on to San Francisco at Cincinnati again, kind of as uh, Jess just mentioned again, there, like non-conference teams, just kind of an interesting matchup. We've got two teams here who have had some really strong performances and at times have looked really solid, been pretty clear in what their identity is, but they're still not top tier teams in that they there's just moments where they're they're not quite meeting this this higher bar they've been setting for themselves this season. So let's start by looking at the Cincinnati offense. And we talked about them last week because we talked about uh, the Cincinnati LA Chargers game. And let's start again with Joe Mixon at running back. He's the focal point of their offense. He's their stud back, you know, one of the, the true workhorse running backs in the NFL right now, but might not have the easiest go of it this week. So Jess, I'll throw it over to you first. Thoughts on Mixon. You know, we talked about him and his usage last week. He disappointed last week, had one of his lower scores. I think it was only like 10, 10 or 11 points. Uh, what do you think about him and this, the matchup here? Uh, he's sick now too, and uh, supposedly it's a non-COVID illness, so we'll see how he's feeling come game time. Uh, kind of one of the things I was pulling up when I was looking at him is just his inconsistent target rates too. Like He'll go from zero targets one game to five the next, and then five the next back down to one, so... Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he ends up in this, in this spot, as far as like the, the passing game rule goes, because it looks like P Ryan's cutting into that quite a bit. Uh, one more kind of uh, like possible explanation for why he had a hard week last week. He was missing two of his key offensive linemen with the center and right tackle Hopkins and reef out. And they're supposed to be back this week. 
Um, this game to me, like, especially being in San Francisco, cause the 49ers suck at home. Like they'll actually probably show up in this game. This one looks more like a slugfest to me and both teams are definitely going to try and rely on their run. Um, but Cincinnati has the fifth worst net, or I'm sorry, uh, seventh worst net adjusted line yards matchup this week. But the way that the team's defenses are like Cincinnati only throws it 32 times per game and the 49ers only defend 32 throw, throws per game. So I do think Cincinnati is going to try and run, especially with uh, Burroughs pinky, like if, if that's still bothering them. And then you got Higgins with a tweaked ankle. So it's like, who knows how healthy the passing game is going to be. I think both of these teams are just going to come into this game with the mentality of let's just run the ball, play defense, get it to our playmakers when we have to kind of thing. And just kind of, you're looking at two teams trying to be efficient and just beat each other. And what's probably going to be a low scoring game. I know the total on this is 48.5, which I think is a little bit high, but I mean, the both of these teams can put up high scores. So it, this being the the non-conference game, perhaps that's the case here, but, and then uh, 49ers get Warner back on the defensive side. So that could help them in their run defense. Uh, it's just, it's, it's an interesting matchup. Um, I don't want to say Vegas got this one wrong, but I kind of feel like the, uh, the under is calling me on this one. <laughs> Lex. Yeah. Um, I was just looking through a lot of the like box scores and stuff too. Like, there really just hasn't been many big fantasy games against San Francisco. Like um, James Conner had like an explosion week in the one with McCoy, but other than that, like even like Jonathan Taylor in the rain game, like he had a nice game, but not like one where you're like, Oh, I needed that on my roster. I mean, I think that was a stunning Sunday night anyway, but just in general, like they've just been pretty good at limiting, like just top production. I, I like what you guys are saying. I think like the under is probably interesting just because of the the way these defenses have been playing and, SF just in general is like these, like they want to run the ball so much that it's going to be these kind of like lower scoring type games. Um, I think Mixon is for sure always interesting. I mean, when you have a guy that's been able to score like, you know, 25 DK points like four times in a row before last week and great that he's scoring like two touchdowns in all those games, but like, that's how a lot of guys get those kinds of that level of points. Um, he's not, he certainly wouldn't be like near the top end of this week, you know, in terms of plays just with SF's defense, you know, being pretty capable against running backs. Um, I think, you know, Mixon's just too inconsistent through the air, especially with, yeah, like, like you guys are doing with like P Ryan and even Evans worked in a bit. Like, it's just hard to trust that kind of pass game usage. So I don't know. I, I mean, he's certainly capable of busting like a big game. Like I wouldn't just, you know, be like X him out from the player pool or anything like that, but you're generally working against, you know, you're working uphill against SF to have a nice, you know, have to have it score, especially as he's gotten more expensive Mixon. Um, the passing game is interesting. I mean, I was looking through too, like most quarterbacks, like there really hasn't been like any big quarterback games against his SFD. And like, they were even pretty banged up for a good part of the year. Um, so I, I don't know, it's not like Burroughs, you know, jumping off the page. He hasn't put up many big scores himself. Um, maybe this is one where you look like if all the usage goes through the air, but I, I'm kind of with the idea that it's probably pretty low scoring. I was looking at receivers, like they haven't really even allowed, even with the injuries, like most of the receiving games have been pretty just, you know, eh, so far, like Thielen scored twice, which helped, but it still wasn't that big of a game. You know, Adams early in the year had a Adams type game, but even that was like boosted on like the final drive. Um, so I don't know. I, I would say this environment as a whole is kind of like, eh, from this side, like Cincinnati is not even produced many big scores lately, just because of all of it has gone through Mixon. Um, oh, I guess Higgins had a, a nice couple 
games there and stuff. But even he, he caught like that deep touchdown. Like he's generally like, I think I wrote, or at least I was thinking about it when I was debating him in um, the battle Royale a couple of weeks ago, he, in, in his entire career up until like last two weeks, he hadn't even had like one score of like more than like 22 points or 25 or something like that. Like it was just all generally pretty, you know, just solid, not like great. Um, and he obviously changed that last couple weeks, but I, I just think that that's tough to bet on. Um, him and Chase split stuff pretty evenly. Um, I mean, they're always interesting, right? Like Chase dropped a deep ball last week that could have had a nice, you know, big day. Um, but again, I don't think you're ever like really just getting punished for not having these guys on your roster just because like with all of them healthy, like there's just a lot of different ways the ball can flow through. Um, yeah, I don't have much else on this side of the ball. I mean, I just think it's like a eh type of setup, you know, nothing jumps off the page. I would be surprised if there's like a, a game that like puts your roster out of reach if you don't have anyone. Yeah. And I just noticed I had this buried in my notes here on um, mixing in the run game. The 49ers have allowed 144.3 yards per game on the ground and 16 rushing touchdowns. So there is a path, like if Cincinnati's able to move the ball, get it down into the red zone and stuff, this could be like one of those games where Mixon could have a couple of touchdowns and hit. Uh, he did come down in price a little bit. I think he was 81 or 8,300 last week, and now he's 7,700 this week. So uh, looks like DraftKings thinks this is a tougher matchup for him as well. Um, and then uh, looking at the 49ers defense, like they just lost their top remaining corner. Like we already lost uh, Verrett early in the year. Now they're losing Mosley to a high ankle sprain. Death behind him is not good. Like Josh Norman is just, he's not great. Uh, and then the, on the other side, like they brought in Lenoir to try and start opposite of Norman for a while. And then at halftime, they benched him for Dante Johnson. He's just like, he's a journeyman. He's been on the team for a long time. I think he's bounced somewhere else for a little bit and he's back, but like their cornerback depth isn't good, which is funny because like, even after Verrett was gone, like their team still weren't really able to attack the 49ers outside against those two corners. Like the 49ers seem to be funneling stuff towards the middle of the field. Still I'm trying to pull up my matchup chart here and see where they're giving up points. Yeah, so they're giving up points to the slot. And actually, that's probably their best remaining corner is Kay Wong Wu. The most out of San Francisco's defense is just in the middle of the field. But even then, they're at tight end. They've only allowed 8.2 points per game, 4.8 targets. They're basically the exact same defense Buffalo is when it comes to the middle of the field and tight ends and stuff like that. So there's really no like weaknesses in the 49ers defense to attack. Um, one thing I would look at is I do kind of like the the price dropping on Jamar Chase. It seems like if Higgins is hurt and the 49ers are able to stop the run, they're going to shut down the tight end. Like, where's the ball going to go? The ball's going to have to go somewhere. So it, it could be big plays from Jamar Chase against those two or whoever ends up filling in on the other side where uh, Mosley was playing on the other side of Norman. Like, that could be a spot where Cincinnati looks to attack and, and you could possibly get some big plays out of Chase or Higgins on that side of the ball or that side of the field. Yeah, but, yeah I think that's kind of interesting to me, too. I I like Chase last week after we were kind of talking about that game. I thought he was, uh, you know, I'm always looking for for guys that have high ceiling and just haven't hit in a handful of weeks. So I liked him in that spot and yeah, so then I didn't see it, but then I'm here that he kind of dropped that pass. It's just like, 
uh, you know, kind of rough, but you know, for those people, you know, he, he didn't have that, that big box score then. Right. So I think to, to potentially go right back to that, then, you know, for the reasons that you were mentioning, you know, ceiling spot there, I think really the only way that you need any of these guys is because they bust a big play. Uh, Like it just doesn't seem from a, a game environment standpoint, like, you know, like, as you guys are saying, you know, these are just two physical teams that want to run the ball and they'll, they'll sprinkle shot plays in there. So that's kind of, you know, it is possible. It's not outside the, the, the realm of possibility. And like you were saying with San Fran's injuries, you know, could, could happen. Uh, and then with Mixon, yeah, I think really with him, it's, it's one of those things where he's still just not, he's not like a guy that, you feel like super safe clicking on. I think a lot of people, you know, Joe Mixon truthers, like they they know the capacity he has and like the role he has in the offense. But I think in general, you know, when he's up there in price, he's just not the, the guy that you feel really comfortable paying up for. And so I think especially after uh, a down week, he could potentially be uh, pretty low owned, you know, specifically because it doesn't set up especially well, but because he has the role that he has, he's, always in the running for a decent score or like Lex was saying a couple of touchdowns. So I think that's, that's almost more just, you know, if you've got a little bit larger tourney field or whatever, and you're playing him just because he's not going to go really high owned and he's got a a ceiling. Uh, Yeah, I guess. Yeah, go ahead, Lex. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you're good. I was just going to say with Mixon, it's probably more important, like whether you think Cincinnati can control the game versus the matchup, right? Cause they're going to feed him carries. Like I think one of those was Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's not like the easiest one to attack and he'd still put up a nice game. Like it, for him, it's like consistency, hold on to the ball, like for a good portion of the game to have a lead and just give him the ball 25 times. Like that's what you need for mixing. Like it's not necessarily always like, Oh, is it a tough magic? Cause like you could get, anyone can get there in 30 carries, you know, even if it's in a tough spot, especially if he gets in the end zone, you know what I mean? So that, that's just what I would think. You're just basically with mixing your, for the most part, he's going to have his best games when Cincinnati is like in control. Well, and Cincinnati's control will matter on the other side of the ball. Who's healthy for the 49ers. They're banged up at their yeah. two important positions right now with Mitchell and Debo on the other side. So if either one of those guys can't go, then that gives Cincinnati a better opportunity to really control this game and grind out the, the game with Mixon. Yeah. Well, speaking of, why don't we bounce over to that side of the ball? Jess, want just just keep it rolling. <laughs> Give us what you got. <laughs> yeah, so like we're, the 49ers, they're one of the, the offenses that you like to target in DFS because they're so condensed that Mitchell's the number one running back and they're going to feed him all he can eat because they don't really like any of the other guys behind him. Jeff Wilson, like they trusted him last year and he's probably still trustworthy, but I his knees flared up. Like, I don't know how healthy he is. And then Jermichael Hasty, he, he's like flashed a little bit before but like he's also like i don't know he's been hurt this year and he's also made a couple of uh not so great plays so like if mitchell's healthy and they're they're able to ride him that's what they're going to prefer to do um if mitchell's out and debo's in then debo's going to get a lot of carries and then it's going to be a mix of debo wilson or whoever's healthy like they it's really down to um god who they have they it's if if without mitchell it's down to jeff wilson uh, Jamichael Hasty, and they just signed Brian Hill off of the, or they signed him to the practice squad so he could get elevated too. 
but Debo and Kittle will get carries out of the backfield if Mitchell is hurt. So we got to see if Mitchell's healthy. We got to see if Debo's healthy. And, and those are the two key players. That's where they're going to want to go with the ball first and foremost. If either of those guys miss, that's why George Kittle's going to have a good game like he just did last week. Without Debo, they needed somebody to, to basically play the run after catch guy. And that's Kittle. It's not Ayuk really. And Ayuk plays pretty much that, just that complimentary role where like when they want to take some shots, they'll give it to him. Um, but none of these guys, like, like at least Kittle and Ayuk, if everybody's healthy, are going to give you a must have DFS score, whereas Mitchell and Debo will. So it really comes down to the health of, of the offense to see what we're going to get out of them. Yes. So I was thinking about this earlier. So I, I forget like what week it was, but JM had met, like mentioned on one of the pods how one of the things that I had tracked early on in the collective was Lou Renarumo and like the way Cincinnati like guarded top weapons on the other team. And I guess at some point, I think I just stopped because they were just, I think it was just like two years ago and their personnel just got so bad that like, even though they were trying to be in there and doing so effectively, like they eventually were just, it didn't matter that they were trying to take away the top weapon. They, they just, just flat out couldn't. Um, so I, I couldn't tell you, like I, someone else would have to look this up, even though I, like, I'm mentioning it here. But like, I don't know how effective they've been at that this year, but I know stylistically, like that's still like, they try to take away like one guy, at least that's what Anarumo, like that was his philosophy at the start. Um, so in this case, like I do remember the SF in Cincinnati did play earlier in that season, like a couple of years ago. And Kittle was the guy they chose to just take away. And he ended up putting up just like 40 yards, but SF scored like 50 points or like 40 points or something. And they ran all over them. Um, so I, I think it would be interesting if you feel like, you know, one guy can get taken away and then there's like, you know, pass to success for the other two, but kind of like just saying when all of them are healthy, it's like a little bit more of a, you know, mosh pit where it's like, none of them are going like nuts. Although, except for like, maybe sometimes Debo, um, obviously Kittle's coming off like a massive game, but Debo didn't play and stuff. So, you know, when all of them are healthy, it's a little bit tougher to peg with all that going on. I'm kind of like rambling, but like the whole reason I even brought that up just because I, I did find that interesting, um, especially if someone misses, like then, you know, that that does open a pass for someone who you feel like wouldn't be the focus point. Um, I've been used a little bit more lately, but it's still pretty inconsistent. Um, you know, I don't have much to say. Cincinnati's defense has been like one of those where it's been solid. They've had some good weeks and then some weeks where they just get like blasted off the field, like last week where they allowed what, like 40 points or something. Um, so. Yeah, uh, I would say if anyone has the time, look into that top weapon thing just because I'm I'm actually generally curious and you could do the work for me. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think it's tough. Like Kittle, like up until last week, I'm like, you basically was unusable, right? Like you just kill your roster if you put him on there. So it was like, and then he finally has a week without Diva. So he's mostly a guy that I've just been avoiding. Um, IU2 has been tough to trust with like, you know, Shanahan's weirdness. Um, Debo is obviously the most interesting, but he is the most likely to be that focus point. And that's something that Cincinnati is still trying to do. Um, the running game for SF is always interesting as long as they've got a guy like Mitchell that they're giving that much work to. Um, but again, you're, you're probably able to find better plays elsewhere for the most part. Like rarely they're going to put up a score that puts you out of reach. Um, but it is still important to know like that he's had these games with like, like what, like 25 carries, like a couple of times. Like, so they're willing to give one guy 
a lot of the work, but then you also have like looming threats like a Jeff Wilson, like Vulture, or even like Kyle Jusek, you know, getting in there, um, which is why you rarely see like these have to habit scores from a running back. But yeah, I'm looking even now, like Mitchell has like 104 yards touchdown, 107 yards touchdown, 137 yards touchdown, 133 yards touchdown. Like that is, those are nice games, even if they're not crazy. Now, I don't, I couldn't tell you what his price is. Like I haven't looked at pricing just because like I, I just preferred it to like delay myself on that this week. Um, but that's, Cincinnati is not some matchup to fear, right? It's just, it's honestly, it's the same thing for me with Mixon. It's like, if you're betting on SF running back, you're betting on SF being able to control the game enough to give Mitchell the ball that many times. And like, obviously his health is in question this week too, but um, I, it's hard to really have, I guess, strong feelings about any SF weapon for, for me this week. It's mostly, I'm like, sometimes if I can get them to fit and like, then they become interesting. But um, I think this game environment as a whole is just kind of like, it's not exciting. You know, it's not where you're like, oh, this is definitely one where SF will throw more or Cincinnati will throw more. Like, it's kind of just like uncertain on both sides. I think neither team is implied for even more than like 25 points or something. So, yeah, I am I would say this is a game that I would come to. Like, I'd be interesting, like, if the prices line up, I'm like, I would think harder. But the, like, starting point, I would probably not be thinking about this game. Well, and like you were saying, like, with Mitchell or whatever, the running backs getting vultured, that was Wilson's role last year was – he would come in and vulture the touchdowns from Raheem Mostert. And he was starting to do that at the beginning of the year, but then, uh, well, not at the beginning of the year, because he was out for like the first eight or nine games. But when he came back, it looked like they were trying to, to kind of bring him back into that role, but they've been keeping Mitchell on the field. And as long as, as all four of their weapons, because the 49ers really pretty much just roll out four weapons. And then it, not that use check is a weapon, but he's a part of the offense, but we don't play him in DFS. As long as all four of their guys are healthy, it's Mitchell and Debo. Cincinnati's not going to be able to cover Debo because they're going to put them all over the field and scheme them open. Like the way Shanahan schemes guys open, like he, he's going to be there. And he's, they're saying he's expected to practice tomorrow. Um, and one of those things that like JM talks about with DraftKings pricings and their algorithms and all that, like he says that they, they price guys because they expect certain things. Well, you've got Debo Samuels, the number three receiver on the slate. I'm sorry. Uh, one, two. Yeah. He's the, the third most expensive receiver on the slate. Now let's look at what Debo has done recently. He's uh, I mean, obviously he's put up points, but as a receiver, he's had one catch, one catch missed a game. Let's increase his price, right? He's playing Cincinnati, but he got a lot of points in the running game. Um, but if, if so kind of where I'm going to, and then Cincinnati's dealing with some injuries in the secondary, they got Louisier, who's been actually their, their best corner and probably best player in the secondary all year is, is hurt. And they might get Trey Waynes back, which would be a good thing for the 49ers because Waynes has been terrible. Um, and just that, that the pricing on Debo makes me think that like, yeah, if he's healthy, DraftKings thinks he's going to go off. And I agree with that because of the way he gets used. Um, and then just looking at a couple of other like random stats here, like San Francisco has the number four offensive pass DVOA, which puts them at the number five net pass DVOA matchup. Um, and then they have the fourth worst net adjusted line yards matchup. Like Cincinnati's actually been pretty good at, at stopping the run. So this could be a game where if we see Mitchell out and Debo in, Debo's going to get carries. He's going to get targets. He's going to be all over the place. And he's, I don't know if he's gonna pay off that eight thousand, but he's gonna come pretty darn close to that, like with the way that they've been scheming him open. Debo's like one of those plays where 
his volume just isn't there, but he's just such a talented athlete that he just like makes these massive plays for himself. So I know that anything we're any knocks we're putting on Debo with volume, you know, Dustin and Sonic are are over there saying that they don't care. They're going to play him. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think for me, I kind of, I'm along the, the lines with Lex here, just like you're, I mean, you're totally on point Jess with like where the ball is going on this offense in terms of Eli Mitchell and Debo. But if those guys don't play, it's, it does feel much harder to, to kind of get a, a grasp on this offense. Really the only things for me, I guess would be if Mitchell's not playing Wilson is semi-interesting because I think if he does have that goal line role and if they are just trying to pound this game out, I do think he could get pretty solid volume. I just don't see hasty, you know, he, he's probably going to get some work, but I just don't see him cutting into like a, a big share of the workload, but again, you know, completely uncertain. And then uh, again, just from like a, a strategy standpoint, understanding that the field just fluctuates it, it, they're just like, especially at this point in the season are so heavily recency biased. And so a lot of people who were on a uke last week and got burned are going to be like, Oh, well, I'm not going back to that guy. And so, you know, if, if Debo doesn't play or, or if he does, and you're playing, you know, really large fields or something like, I think Ayuk is interesting just because people are going to remember that they played him and Kittle went off. And so Kittle garner a little bit more ownership than, than probably he would have otherwise. So yeah, I, I think again, for me, uh, just some strategy things there, but definitely things that are are much more like fringe plays for me as a, a single entry guy or, or not on my radar, but I could see being, you know, semi-interesting for, for larger fields. Okay. Real, real quick. I just want to add to on the, the 40 back 49ers running back room. So if Mitchell is out, then you're likely going to see, and, and Wilson is in, then you're going to see Wilson handling all the carries and hasty handling the passing downs. If Wilson is out, I, I'm pretty sure last year, Hasty, I don't remember what the total was, but Hasty did have a good game last year when he was like the only healthy running back. Like the 49ers are just, they get beat up every year, especially at this position. And, and Hasty did have a good game last year. So if he's the only healthy running back and it's Hasty and Brian Hill, Hasty's $4,000. Like a, the matchup is not screaming play him, but $4,000 in all the volume is. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a good call there. I don't know. Yeah. I guess we just have to kind of wait and see on that one. I, that's something I talked about on the, on the process pod today too, is just when you're going to get a guy that's, you know, like a Sony Michelle, a little bit different situation there, but just in a, on a really good offense on a team that's going to score points, you know, a lot of times you just don't blink at, you know, whether you think he has ceiling or not, because just the, the volume at that that low of a price and what that opens up for you is always at least should be considered. So yeah, I think that's interesting there too. All right. Good for this game guys. Yeah. Okay. Final game of the evening in our slightly off the board spot. And our third game is a uh, New York giants at Los Angeles chargers. I mean, the, the big news here is, you know, I think this would have been an interesting matchup and a little bit more of a 
game that the field was looking at with full healthy rosters. We've got an interesting spot this week where we got COVID, we got injuries. So we still want to keep it on the board here because we think that there could potentially be some things opened up while the field might just be passing this one up. So let's go ahead and look at the chargers offense first, where the COVID situation is, is going to play into this with Keenan Allen out with COVID. And then Williams is now on that list as well, being deemed a close contact. Uh, Jess, I'll throw this one to you first. How are you seeing this game set up with this news? And do you think we see either of those guys this weekend? And if not, what's going on? Uh, well, like we were talking pre-pod, I don't know how many players have got COVID on a Monday and played that following Sunday. Uh, so that's something I'm going to look into because the, the Keenan Allen news hit while I was still doing notes. And then Mike Williams followed that up after I had jammed in some notes on him. Uh, looking at the matchup itself, uh, Chargers have the highest net pass play total again. Uh, they did last week. Both them and the Giants defense are ranked third in pass plays four slash allowed. Uh, Giants have lost to Dory Jackson and then their slot corner of Darnay Holmes over the past two weeks. So they're basically relying on James Bradbury to kind of lock down one side of the field. And then you got Aaron Robinson, Jaron Williams, and then Logan Ryan, who's splitting time between free safety and nickelback, trying to cover everybody else. So this really does open up a lot for the Chargers receivers. And I, I did really like Keenan Allen in this spot in the slot. Um, but without him, uh, I was looking at Jalen Guyton on the pro football focus where they show you the splits on, on where they're lining up. And he actually split half his time between the outside and the slot last week. So if we get Jalen Guyton in the slot against this Giants defense, I really do like that, especially at his price. Um, he's going to be popular now with Keenan Allen out. I know a lot of people are going to like him. And he's coming off his best game of the year. He just caught all four of his targets for 90 yards and a touchdown. So we're going to have recency bias, cheap price. Like it's he, He's going to be a popular play. Um, and with Keenan Allen being out, like Mike Williams being a close contact, hopefully he, he gets his negative tests and he's able to come back because he just had a re-emerging game last week too. And he's got nine end zone targets, which is more than Keenan Allen's five. So if we're looking at a, a red zone role or somebody that they would look for in this game to target, like it, the Giants secondary is just shot. So I think Mike Williams could have another good game here. And then the, the tight ends are interesting. Uh, Giants have allowed 8.8 targets to tight ends this year. But what I think the field's going to do is they're going to look at this game and go, oh, no Keenan Allen. Uh, if you if they're not paying attention to the Mike Williams news and they think he's got COVID, then they'll probably just kind of, they're going to look at Jalen Guyton. They're going to look at, uh, God, what can he do? Palmer. But most people are just going to look at Austin Eckler and go, yep, Eckler's going to get all the volume here. But He's got bumps and bruises. Uh, they might want to rest him as soon as possible in this game. So if if they get out to a commanding lead, we're going to see a lot more Roundtree, Jackson, and whoever else at, at running backs going to come in to, to give him some rest. If not, like he could be, you know, hitting the showers after the third quarter or whatever. So there's a lot of interesting pieces to look at in this game, and it's going to matter whether or not Mike Williams plays in, in my opinion, because you need Mike Williams out there to, to be that threat to possibly take some 
ownership away from uh, Eckler and Guyton, if at all. And if not, maybe everybody's going to be on Eckler and Guyton and then roster Mike Williams, who has another good game here too. So I don't know that this, this charger side of the ball definitely is set up well to succeed. How hard they have to push the gas on this to do it is, is another story. Yeah. I, I like all those thoughts. Like that was a, a lot of info and stuff. Uh, I can't say I've targeted like the giants a ton this year, but I think you were saying, right. They're like really beat up. Um, obviously chargers injuries, like, condenses the volume a little bit, you know, and then you have these cheaper guys to throw out there. Like Jess was saying with Guyton, um, Palmer was on the field a bit more and he'd obviously play more if they're missing, you know, like Keenan um, and Mike will, especially, I wouldn't be surprised if cook had one of his higher target games this year. Um, just to be like a guy that, you know, that's been on the field all year. So Herbert, you know, has some trust built in. Um, the giants like themselves have been really weak through, you know, running backs to the air. So obviously Eckler is going to be really popular, but there is like good reason behind it. I mean, he, he might see a target boost anyway, but like, you know, you like, obviously the matchup is really nice for him too. Um, they've had some pretty nice scores, like the running backs versus the giants, you know, I, I don't really have much to add in terms of like some of those receivers, just because Jess kind of nailed everything that I would have said about like Guyton and those kind of guys. Um, obviously if, you know, Mike Williams ends up playing like his, target he's been really good with heavy target counts this year he just hasn't had a lot especially lately um but if keenan's out then i would expect him to be like the guy which would be really good for him um he's had some not just like good games he had, he's had some monster games like early in the year when he was getting fed so he'd certainly be interesting especially if more of the ownership goes to eckler um i mean you could play them both together honestly and like a real big game stack of it obviously probably not the way i would you know, think about it first, you know, first off, but it's certainly a way that it can go as, if it gets that concentrated, um, if Keenan stays out. Uh, I don't have like too much more to add in terms of the passing attack. Like I'm kind of just going through Ben, yours and um, Alex's notes, just because I obviously didn't do this game. Um, I, I think that it's hard to say too much, like with the uncertainty, right? Like well, because it's Wednesday when we're recording this, like all that news just came out today. We don't really know like who's going to end up playing. Uh, so I, I'll just leave it at that. I think Jess hit on everything that you'd want to know in terms of like these receivers. Yeah, I just want to say that I my favorite skinny stack of the week last week was Mike Williams and Jamar Chase. So... I feel pretty good about the process on that one. <laughs> they they both got decent volume, as we just talked about. Chase missed that big play, uh, but yeah, you know the. And I mentioned that just because you know thinking about ceiling in this spot, it's just it's kind of hard. Not only the uncertainty, but then you know we'll get to it in a minute. But the questions of can the pace of this game even get pushed? Like when does if the chargers do pull away, when do they pull off the gas? As Jess was saying, that would be kind of my concern with Eckler I prefer him in competitive game environments where he's going to see elevated receiving uh, rates. So I definitely see like a path to the chargers guys having solid games and, and, and obviously like they can hit ceiling here. I just don't know that they're going to be pushed for it necessarily. 
Uh, so that's, that's the only thing, you know, we, we've seen like the, the Rams score, you know, th- what was it? 35 or 38 or something against the giants. Cause like they're an aggressive team. They're going to keep pushing. And I just don't know that the, the chargers do that. So, yeah, I think for me, I'm, I'm like very much kind of muddied with the, the way that I'm seeing this. I gotten that situation kind of sucks. You know, he's like, that's exactly the type of situation you don't want uh, the guy coming off of like having a nice game coming into a week where he could get elevated usage because, you know, he's not going to be sneaky or fly under the radar. I do like the Jared Cook call just because I I do think that potentially he sees a little bit more work because he does have that rapport, but even that it still feels pretty thin to, to, to pull the trigger there. So, yeah, I think we we've all kind of mentioned it to an extent. There's just, (laughs) there's just so much uncertainty at this point. It feels hard to be confident, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that solid scores can't come out of these guys. It's just going to be hard to pick, but the field's not going to want to do that either. So definitely worth considering. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I have. Yeah, go ahead, Lex. Only thing I'm curious, like, I don't know if Jesse have thoughts on this. Like, would there be, a, would it be possible like Guyton, you know, stays in the same type role and Palmer is the one who would take over the slot? Like, I, I don't know if that's, I don't, I, it's hard to, for me to really say much about what Guyton's skill set is. It seems like he's mostly been used as that deep ball guy the last couple of years, but like, like you did say he, he's, you know, he had a little bit more usage last week. I don't know. I just don't know. Like maybe that's something Palmer's more equipped for. I, I don't, I couldn't tell you much about Palmer either just because he's a, you know, a rookie who hasn't played a ton, but um, I would, that would be just something if Guyton's like more popular and then you play, you know, Palmer, I don't know. But again, like it, it seems like it's not uncertainty. I don't know if you maybe had any more intel on that. Uh, just looking at what they did last week. So even with Keenan Allen on the field, Guyton was rotating through the slot. Um, I, I don't think uh, Palmer had more than a few, like three or five or something slot reps. So it seems to me like they they would plug Guyton in there and then Palmer would play on the outside. But that's just based off of what I'm looking at last game with Allen playing. Like when, when Allen's out, I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen? They could just play two tight end all game or whatever, who knows? and have Guyton and Williams on the outside or play with a fullback. Uh, I don't know that they would change the offense too much, but I would expect Guyton probably to get more of the slot reps just based on what happened last week. And he did have a good game. I would have to look, see how much of his good game came through the slot. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know what the coaches are thinking on that as far as like who they feel as the better skill set to, to play through the slot other than what the numbers show. I mean, it, if he's getting half of his reps through the slot last week, then it's probably Guyton, but the leverage play. Yeah. Go, go ahead and look at Palmer because everybody else is going to be on Guyton in this game. Uh, people are probably going to pay down for Guyton just to get, cause they're going to figure he's going to play the whole game. Like if this game is a runaway game for the chargers, then Guyton and Palmer are probably going to be on the field the whole game. Mike Williams might be on the field the whole game. Eckler is the one at most risk of not finishing the game. And then the tight ends, they're just thin. Like Cook and Parham, it seems like one or the other will have a okay game every once in a while. And they both have four end zone targets apiece. So it's like not one or the other really separates each other from themselves. So like, I don't know, just going back to your question, I, 
I would guess Guyton plays in the slot and Palmer is a good leverage play. <laughs> All right. Let's flip to the other side of the ball where, I mean, I don't know what this Giants team did to the football gods, but they are just like <laughs> getting absolutely slaughtered here with injuries. You know, I don't even know who's playing at quarterback anymore. Can you guys fill me in? Like what's going on? Jake from State Farm. <laughs> Jake from State Farm. <laughs> yeah. UGA. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, because we kind of mentioned a couple times previously, like, can, do we see any way the Giants keep up here? Obviously, as I said, kind of leading into it, if they were healthy, you could, you could kind of draw some of those pads up. I, you know, my biggest curiosity is, is there any of that? I was kind of interesting, interested in what Saquon would look like this week against a Chargers defense who, you know, is a, a run funnel defense. I don't know, Jess, thoughts here. All right. So with Fromm, there's no tape on him. So Kitchens has a fresh piece of clay to mold and work with here. I don't know that Fromm's playable in DFS, but we have to consider the thought that he might make this offense better than when Glennon's on the field. Um, and if that's the case, then Possibly he elevates some of the guys, one of the guys, and and we have a player to to work with here. Um, and mo more than likely, we're going to want to target Saquon Barkley just because of the way the Chargers defense is designed. They're going to let you run the ball all you want. They just don't want you to score any touchdowns. So if he's able to do anything and Kitchens is able to work up anything with him, then it, it could help the running game a little bit. Like if he could keep the defense honest, because otherwise the, the charges are going to be like, you know, what? we're not going to let you run. We're going to make Jake from state farm beat us. So go ahead. <laughs> Let's see your uh, third string quarterback who you just signed last week, beat our defense. Um, and then, you know, Chris Harris, he was a close contact. Like if he somehow misses, then maybe that opens up a little more opportunity there as well for the giants to, to do better than just shitting the bed. Um, and then watching a little bit of the game last week, it looked like with Garrett out, which was funny because I always thought Garrett was kind of a tight ends guy, but like, uh, kitchens was calling all kinds of stuff up for Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph and Ingram actually looked kind of good last week. Like he was making some uh, catches, you know, more than just five yards down the field. So that's probably going to be part of the game plan again this week. So if, if we're looking on, on this side of the ball, like the, the only two pieces that really stand out to me would be Barkley and Ingram. Um, and then they, like to a, a certain degree, but I, I probably wouldn't play him, but I wonder how much uh, Booker is going to be in, involved in this game plan as well. Like they might just try and run both of those running backs the whole game and do what the Patriots did and just throw three times with, with this guy. Yeah, I think for for me, the like you were saying, Engram and Saquon both set up interestingly, simply from a, you know, they're they're probably gonna want to give Jake from State Farm just like the the easiest dump offs, you know, just get him some completions, just try to get the ball moving whatsoever. So I think that's interesting for those guys. Again, not necessarily we're not talking about like ceiling plays, but you know, we know that Saquon's got that in him or, you know, we at least think he does at this point in his career. Uh, so that's, you know, I think that the one thing that is, is somewhat interesting from 
my perspective, you know, we've got a, a receiver room that's just kind of destroyed also. Uh, but before, you know, we jump into that Lex thoughts on anything we've mentioned so far. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of a bummer just because uh, like if it was earlier in the year, you know, you have Jones playing in these receivers, like the Giants have some interesting receivers for fantasy, like when they're held, like Shepard has had some interesting games, like when, you know, ever since he got to play a slot again with no golden tape this year, you know, Galladay at the very beginning, like Tony had those blow up things where they were designing stuff for him. And now it's like no Jones, like even Glennon, it's like, you don't really want to play receivers with the Glennon, you know, from like, uh, he can't really throw down field. Like he's a very weak armed quarterback. You know, he'll be making his like first start if he does play on a team. Did he like just sign with them too? Like, so it, or just got claimed. So it's kind of a mess there. Um, the chargers have dealt with like so many injuries in the secondary that they've actually allowed some of these bigger, you know, games to receivers. But I just don't think any of these guys are even worth taking shots on if there's this much uncertainty at quarterback. Um, if one of these guys does end up healthy, like a shepherd type, or Tony, like maybe consider them if they're, you know, cheap enough, but like, it's been really tough. Like, I don't think any of them have put up like a good score. And like, since like early in the season, just with all the health questions and quarterback questions and now switching from Garrett kitchens. So that's kind of a mess that I avoid. I think they're only applied for like 16 and a half points. Like that, that's not an offense that you really want to make a bet on like over like a hundred game sample, you know? So I had to avoid that. It's really tough with Saquon because the chargers, Defense has been a spot to attack with running backs generally throughout the year. And Saquon, you know, had he been getting that early season usage, then he'd be interesting. But now he's on like a low total team, like maybe no quarterback that we can speak of. You know, he's not getting more than like, what, like 17 touches right now. So it's just really hard. You know, he's I, I just saw Alex and know how cheap he is. So I guess that's interesting. But like, I don't know. It's so tough to trust. Like the problem for Saquon could be kind of like what Mixon ran into last week where they fell down so much that he didn't get the usage that he needed to score. Like maybe we deal with the same thing with Saquon. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of staying away mostly from this giants offense, just with all the question marks. And like, if Fromm's playing, like, please, like why, like maybe Saquon gets like 10 targets, but it's like, he could end up with 30 yards on those 10 targets. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just, I don't know. I, I think that this offense is kind of a mess right now. And there's just so many, injuries and question marks and the Chargers defense is solid when they're healthy. Like, so I, I don't know. I, I'm probably just avoiding it. It kind of makes me want to play Barkley because of how down everybody's going to be on this offense and how down yeah, everybody funny. is on Barkley right now. Like he's getting kicked around in the media and on Twitter and stuff. Um, and like it, he, he's been terrible. Like he's, he's not putting up good numbers. He's not playing well. He doesn't look like he has any explosion whatsoever which is a reason not to play him, but it's just like, he's like one of those pieces. It's just like, everybody's just written him off. Nobody's going to play him this week. And then he's the guy who's going to pop for, you know, 25 points, 20 points, something like that, something reasonable at his price. So I don't know. I I'm kicking around the idea of Barkley just because of the matchup. They're going to have to run the ball. Um, I don't know how creative kitchens is going to get with getting him the ball out in space and stuff like that. But it just seems like this is one of those, like everybody's buried him. Now he has a good game kind of plays. Yeah. No. And like, I, I remember saying like, why you shouldn't play me. It's the saints. And then, right. And then he showed off what he can do when he gets usage and his, his talent level is certainly still impressive in terms of like the explosive plays he can create. 
Um, it could be that he's been playing down because of that return from, you know, the high ankle sprain, like the same thing he had a couple of years ago, right? It's just like, it's been, it just saps running backs effectiveness, like year in, year out. It's like such an awful injury for these guys. And he was already coming back from that torn ACL. Um, so it could be, yeah. I mean, he's another week removed from it, right? He's cheap as he's ever been. Like, I, I do think that that is interesting. Like, and like I was saying, the chargers were a spot to attack on the ground, you know, earlier in the year. So I, it's not like he's just unplayable. I, I just, I think if Fromm is playing, I, I would probably just be like, uh, I just would rather not bet on an offense like this. Um, but Glennon is still certainly capable of getting them like a couple of touchdown drives. So, you know, yeah, I, I think that's, that's certainly a spot where he could, he could burn you, but he's like at low ownership, maybe he is a worth, you know, taking a bet on. And then kind of bouncing back to tight end, like with, uh, Evan Ingram here. So like, from coming in, it's kind of like Minshew last week. Who did he throw to? Goddard. Like these guys that aren't making a start, that's the easiest guy to find is the tight end. So the, the Ingram does have possibly a chance here with From starting, even with Glennon, because Glennon was thrown to him too. Um, but yeah, they, Char- or Giants have a 17 point total. Don't normally want to bet on that because that's basically saying you're you're trying to catch both of their touchdowns with one player. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, I'm kind of with you, Jess, on the Saquon thing. It's like, I, I, I want to play him so badly from like a strategy standpoint. It's just like, so scary. I think the one thing that is important to remember doesn't make him some smash play or anything, but they, they played, uh, what has been a, a pretty lights out dolphins defense last week at home so it was a bad game environment for the Giants offense to begin with. And again, you know, as we've covered all the reasons why we shouldn't expect anything serious out of them. But if they do happen to put together two touchdown drives, even they are most likely coming through Saquon somehow, some way. Uh, so, yeah, I think really it's only a price considered argument for me. I wouldn't be playing him if it was, you know, if he was, 7,000 or something like that. So, uh, yeah, just interesting, interesting to keep in mind. I just, I have this feeling like if I don't play him, he is again, not going to like smash for 30 necessarily, but I think, you know, 25 point game out of him at this point would is within his range and could happen, but. And he's only 6,000. <laughs> That's what makes me want to play him too. Like you're, you're kind of, you're not spending so much money on, this bet if you're if you want to go there i think i'm just scared of like what lex said i'm I'm nervous that he's gonna have 10 targets and he's gonna put up like 80 yards and a touchdown on that <laughs> i'm like eight catches or something uh yeah. so i i could see it happening i guess to, you know pending quarterback situation but yeah Those not guys. a not by any means a, a likely thing his routes have been short and somebody one of the uh Giants tape guys that I have on my Giants feed posted one of his routes and he just looked so disinterested. He's like, I'm just going to run over here and turn around. Oh shit. There's the ball. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, so if that's the way he's playing, yeah, I don't want to roster him, but like, uh, it's yeah, there's just something there that makes me want to at least entertain the idea. Yeah. Well, I think you got to remember too, like to that point on teams like this, they've got to be so demoralized at this point. It's like, they're just probably trying to get their paychecks and, you know, get to the end of the season here. 
yeah, healthy because they keep seeing everybody around them going down. They're they're the walking dead right now. They're just yeah. they're done. It's over. They're just trying to get through the season without any further injury so they can come back next year. Speaking of walking dead, I think I think we beat this horse pretty good. <laughs> any any final thoughts, guys? I, I feel like uh we're probably good. Yeah, I agree. I I don't have much else to add. I I think the best one was the crown jewel. According to Jess, I think I think that was the best game for sure in terms of what we talked about. There's still guys you can you know you can find like in what we were talking about, but I I, I think that in terms of fantasy, that's where you're going to have the most scores that that win. Yeah, so we we chose these games because they're non-conference. It's an interesting slate as a whole this week. Just kind of not a lot of really like sexy games, things that are are really going to pull a lot of interest. So. Yeah, I'd just say like definitely make sure to read the edge this week because I feel like it's gonna help to get a a lot of uh just as much info as you can because it's gonna be a, a weird slate, it feels like. Yeah, so many teams with just 17 point totals this week. I don't think I've ever seen so many 17 on the slate before. There's like five teams. I know the yeah. totals when I was looking through, like when we were setting up the games, I was just like, they're ridiculously low. Even before I was looking at them, I was just like, these game environments are. <laughs> yeah it usually it means the quarterback play has been rough right that's usually these low total games yeah. all right guys well let's call it a night here thanks for everybody that was hanging out for jess for lex i'm ben and hope to see you guys at the top of leaderboards this weekend